Let's pray. Lord, on this uh, beautiful day, we come to worship, we go about our business, whatever it is we're doing, we go back to work tomorrow or whatever we're doing on Monday, and we forget that this is your world and you're in it, you're present, you are at work. Remind us of that today, Lord, and give us eyes to see. Amen. Sometimes I have had conversation with church members, past and present, about what their everyday life has to do with God's mission. And whether that person is a businessman or a woman, a contractor, an electrician, an attorney, a truck driver, whatever, this conversation about what God is up to in the midst of their daily grind usually starts with crickets. Blank stares, shrug of the shoulders. It is hard, I think, for the average person, for most of us, to know what God has to do with our everyday world, a world that doesn't seem to us to be particularly godly or spiritual. And it often includes our own selves. Our story today, which is uh, part of the saga of Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat, is firmly planted in a broken world of people behaving very badly, at least some of them. It reads uh, you know, a bit like a, an episode or two of uh, House of Cards. Here's the basic story, big picture. Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham. Remember him? We talked about him last Joseph and his 11 brothers are the genealogical origins of the 12 tribes of Israel. As you probably know, Joseph was special, and his father Jacob knew it. Joseph's brothers knew it, that dad thought Joseph was special, and they were jealous of their brother. When Joseph had dreams about his brothers bowing down to him, well, <laughs> that was the last straw from their kid brother. So one day, they conspired and they threw Jacob into a pit. They stole his beautiful coat of many colors. They sold him into slavery. They told their father that a wolf had killed Joseph and that his coat was all that remained. Pretty dark, huh? Nobody ever said the founding fathers of Israel were saints. Hamilton's got nothing on these guys, huh? Joseph's captors then sold him to a powerful Egyptian official named Potiphar. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Joseph found favor and promotion in Potiphar's house. Enter Potiphar's wife. <laughs> Uh-oh who had uh, too much time on her hands and an active imagination. She wanted in on this handsome newcomer, but despite her, her best attempts at seduction, uh, Joseph did not stumble. He had uh, boundaries, you see, a higher purpose. 
And I have to say at this point, isn't it kind of refreshing to have a biblical character that's not tragically flawed, who actually does the right thing? Every reason to be tragically flawed, right? You know what happens next. Potiphar's wife becomes spiteful, accuses Joseph of rape, and Potiphar has Joseph imprisoned because he believes his wife. So do you notice, again, Joseph is in a pit. And again, his own garment is used as a prop to frame a false narrative about him. But it says that Joseph then found favor with the jailer as he did with Potiphar. So, uh, so much so that the chief jailer basically put Joseph in charge of the prison. This story would be great on Netflix or HBO. It's about power, manipulation, and lies, spite, retribution, prisons, human trafficking. On the surface, it would seem God is not a part of this story at all. Unless, of course, you were listening carefully as the lesson were read. And I know you all were. Look at the lesson again. If you have a pencil or pen handy, look, look at the lesson in the bulletin and circle how many times you see the Lord or God uh, mentioned in the text. Just, just take a few seconds and, and do that. The winner gets to be the guest at the next church council meeting. Okay, how many times did you circle God or the Lord? Anybody? Six, eight? Yeah, I mean, it was, I asked you to do quick work and it's a long lesson and all. There are actually nine, nine times that God is mentioned. What is God doing here in in such a broken, flawed human tale. These aren't his people, the Jews, and yet their God is. And these actions, slavery, attempted seduction, and framing, these aren't God's actions, yet God is in the middle of it. This tawdry tale, strangely enough, is part of God's story, too. No more floods. I'm part of this saga, says God. I'm all in with these people. These nine references tell us that God was with Joseph over and over again, and that through Joseph, God was busy blessing people. Blessed to be a blessing. Sound familiar? That's what God told Abraham. And Joseph knew it too, didn't he? That somehow his story was a part of God's story. 
So let's add, let's add, God, some of you are going, where are those nine? I don't see the nine. I'm still, <laughs> it's okay. It's eight or nine or seven. Um, so let's add God's story to Joseph's story now. And differently it looks. It says that Potiphar could see that there was something special about Joseph. In fact, he knew that God was with Joseph, even though that wasn't his, Potiphar's, religion. So Potiphar put his household in charge of Joseph, and God blessed this household and everyone in it. We already know that Joseph was loyal to God. For Joseph, that meant being loyal to Potiphar, too, because God was at work in Potiphar's house. So it mattered, his relationship to Potiphar. Now, Potiphar may have perceived God's presence with Joseph, but Potiphar's wife was oblivious to it, seeing only someone who could be manipulated for purposes. She wanted to share in his, uh, his potency for sure, but she totally misread what that potency was. For Joseph, it was God. So Potiphar's nameless wife frames Joseph and he ends up in prison. And while this may seem once again that God has abandoned Joseph, he's in prison for a number of years, even prison was a sign of God's blessing because if a servant is accused of raping the captain's wife and the captain believes it, execution is usually the result. And there's more. God made Joseph prosper. God made Joseph prosper, even in jail. Eventually, Joseph is practically running the joint, and he's still officially a prisoner. Okay, here's what I think this all means. Jenny's already alluded to it, said it well. There's always a bigger story going on than just yours. God's, for instance. Does it make a difference to you if your story on Monday and Tuesday is intertwined with God's story? Several points here. I know that some of you may feel that when life gets really rough, Maybe that means God has wandered away from you because you're not all that you should be. I've heard that one on more than one occasion. Or maybe God wants to hang out with the winners in the world and you think you're not one, so you are left to your godless corner of the world by yourself. Joseph had an unshakable belief that somehow God was with him and that he was a part of a larger story. This belief sustained Joseph while he was thrown in a pit, sold down the river, faced with seduction, and tossed into prison. Jesus' words today, Blessed are you when people persecute you, had not been spoken yet, but Joseph believed them already. If we're in a pit, we naturally wonder where God is. When your story is the pits, God has already claimed it as a part of God's own story. In fact, Jesus' pit was way bigger than yours, whatever it is, which means your suffering, too, will be redeemed. 
When do you exclude God in your imagination? Because you think God would never be stuck in the muck with the likes of you. And sometimes we may think that God has nothing to do with a world like ours, where many don't believe in Jesus and many, many more don't act like him. It says in our story today that God was at work in an Egyptian home with Egyptian people blessing them. What? God's vision and activity is a bit bigger than you might think. Do you limit the scope of God's love and activity in your world to those in your circle? Most people in pews across America believe that pastors are the ones who have callings. They're the ones who really have callings, but they're everyone else? Well, we're just trying to make a living. <laughs> it's not a calling, really. And Luther is rolling over in his grave. Luther famously said that God calls all of us vocations, our jobs, our stations in life. That means a truck driver's calling, being a truck driver, is just as important as a pastor's. In God's eyes, it is as important, and it is the Lord's work. People usually think the mundane work your house clean, trying to cook meals, doing laundry, paying bills, overseeing the schedules of children, etc is outside the scope of God's concern. Think again. In our story today, God was at work in Joseph as he managed Potiphar's household, and everyone in the household was blessed. What might it mean for you to recognize that managing a household and a family, or managing anything, is a calling from God? You don't have to be Joseph for God to bless your housework, your managing. God's there. And God even blessed a prison. Prisons in this world are probably necessary, and the people who are there, prisoner and jailer, both certainly matter. To God, they certainly do. So if the jailer who promoted Joseph thought for a second that his work or his prisoners didn't matter, well, he was in for a surprise. Surely God was even in that place. Do you think of this world and your job in it as secular and mundane? It is not. It is sacred and a calling by God to make the world a better place, and that includes prisons. And finally, one could conclude that Joseph was just along for the ride here, that God was going to do what God was going to do, and it didn't matter what Joseph did. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Just because we have a gracious and forgiving God doesn't mean we can't contribute and actively partner with God. God can work through scoundrels and corrupt systems, for sure. God does on a regular basis. But it's a lot easier for God to accomplish God's purposes when we, God's flawed agents in this world, are loyal to God, like Joseph. When we are faithful and do the right thing. When we say no to Potiphar's wife, even if it costs us dearly, 
God's work is enhanced when we are a full and willing partner, not an obstacle for God to overcome. So it matters what we do in our daily lives. God desires a willing partner in each of us. When and where are you called upon to take a stand in your world, one that may not be easy, all out of your loyalty to what God is up to in this world? Remember, your world, your mundane, seemingly godless world, actually belongs to God, and he cares what happens in it. Amen.